Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs and to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Want regular updates on moves your competitors are making? You can learn more at startupcompetitors.com. Hello there. Today we're chatting with Darshan Mata, who's the founder of iResearch.com, a platform that allows users to quickly extract insights from consumers throughout the world. He's also the founder of ConnectQuick. That's Q-I-K, ConnectQuick.com, an app that allows users to make instant connections and take part in engaging interactions. And Darshan also has a book coming out on November 6th called Getting to Aha, Today's Insights Are Tomorrow's Facts. We chat about iResearch.com, Connect Quick. We talk about the book. We talk about finding insights from customers, users, consumers in a meaningful way to help inform product roadmaps and decisions that you're making going forward. We talk a little bit about Darshan's move to Thailand pre-COVID, why he did that, and what are some of the opportunities he sees over in Asia today. And we cover a number of other topics. It's a bit of a wide-ranging conversation. Truly hope that you enjoy it. You can connect with Darshan on iResearch.com and you should be able to find his book on Amazon on November 6th and we'll probably post about it as well. Really hope you enjoy this one. Find Darshan on LinkedIn or shoot him an email and tell him thank you for coming on the show. This episode is sponsored by Product Light. Are you growing weary of Zoom and Teams meetings? Product Light gets you the data you need for product decisions with less meetings. Get clear and actionable insights from stakeholders and customers to help keep your product on the right track. Visit productlight.com slash less meetings for a free trial. Welcome to the show. Today, we're chatting with Darshan Mehta, who is the founder and CEO of iResearch and the founder and CEO of ConnectQuick and has a new book coming out in November called Getting to Aha. Darshan, welcome. Hey, thank you very much, Michael. Nice to be here. Let's maybe start with a quick pitch for iResearch and then why don't you roll into ConnectQuick after that? iResearch is an online platform to enable anyone from anywhere at any time to do focus groups online in any language. So if you think about the different ways you can do research or to gather insights, one common way most people do is surveys, whereas online focus groups have always been a bit more nebulous or a little bit hard to do and more expensive in the past. But with high research, you can do these anytime, anywhere at a much, much more affordable cost than anything you'll find out there. The whole idea behind this is to really empower people to garner insights to improve products and services and make a better world for all of us. Love it. And then where did ConnectQuick come from? So ConnectQuick is uh, an idea that came about from attending conferences and that frustration I had at the end where I had about 30 to 40 business cards. I was like, what am I going to do with this now? Scan these all in, type them all in. That's not going to happen most likely. So I ended up saying, you know, there's got to be a better way in this digital world. So ConnectQuick is an app that's available free in the app store right now where you can instantly exchange contact info. So if you and I were standing in front of each other, we would hold up our phones. You have a personal QR code, just like I would, and we would scan it and immediately go right into your contacts. And there'd be no typing, scanning, or anything else. And the other thing I realized is that, you know, we all wear multiple hats. We're no longer just, uh, you know, having one role. So 
in your contacts, you can have a personal business and custom profile, and you can share whichever profile you want, along with a video and an image, and also some other interesting information about where you've traveled and so on, kind of like what I call conversation servers. Nice. I like it. Paint a quick picture for both companies, current status. This is anything to give the listener an idea of where you're at on the journey. It could be team-sized, funding, revenue, customers, anything at all to kind of help someone understand where the status of each of those two businesses. Connect Quick is probably the easier one because it's already launched. It's ready and out there. It's something, as I said, was inspired by attending conferences and finding a better way to connect. But not only connect, but also find a more meaningful, deeper connection once you connect with someone by exchanging interesting and relevant information you want to share. So that's out and available in the App Store. iResearch is kind of interesting. It's actually evolved. I've been doing consulting for many years, and that was a platform I actually developed internally to help clients garner insights to improve their operations, make business decisions, and so on. And I realized the last couple of years that I can turn this into a platform and let others use it themselves. So I'm no longer just going to give you the fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish and how to uh, get it on your own so that you're empowered to do this on your own. And iResearch is going to be launching here in a couple of weeks along with the book. Oh, nice. Awesome. So maybe let's chat about iResearch first and kind of that journey from leveraging it internally for clients to thinking through something that a client could use themselves. When you looked at the market or when you think of competitors for iResearch, who or what comes to mind? Like who's the dead-on competitor in that space or is there nobody? Is it really more of a landscape? Oh, I wish there was an opportunity in the marketplace where there's no competitors, but that's not the case anymore with anything. Right. Because <laughs> you're not only competing with the person next to you, but most likely someone across the world. But interestingly enough, you know, there's two categories of competitors. There's direct and indirect. And maybe I'll share my journey, how I did I research. I actually started out, as I said, consulting. And I was originally going to do an online survey tool, but then realized there was lots of competitors in that space and I wasn't going to be able to make enough of a splash. But I also needed an online focus group tool internally. So I decided, basically, I'm going to pursue that first. And that's what I've done is basically developed this tool internally, used it, and now it's perfected to the point where I think others can use it on their own on demand. But I think this brings an interesting thought process I've had about competitors and competition over the years. And the one thing I've learned is, you know, we often want to look over our shoulder and look at our competitors, see what they're doing, say, oh, okay, we can do this, we can do that. But I've learned it's good to observe them, but don't follow them or don't use them as the only basis upon what you should do. In fact, I would encourage all of you to become your own worst competitor because that's the one thing you control. And if you can learn to basically be innovative, even to the point you may bring an existing product into obsolescence, you're better off doing that than having someone else do that for you. And I think you'll see that in my book. I talk about many companies that for years you thought they would have basically controlled the market for many, many years, but somehow an innovator comes around and next thing totally disrupts the market. You know, I would encourage people to become their own competitor and be innovative. And one of the ways to seek that innovation is to actually pursue gaining insights from your customers. So why don't you walk us through that process of gaining an insight from a customer? When you think about doing that or when you were putting together iResearch, what was the process that you followed to do that? I did a lot of focus groups internally for clients and I learned from that. But maybe something that might help all your listeners, let me just give you an example of what's happened out there in terms of innovation and what can happen in any industry. For the longest time in blades for shaving, the innovation was adding another blade. 
So we went from one blade to two blade to three blades to five blades. That was the real basis of innovation over time. Gillette basically owned about 75 to 80% of the marketplace. But then along comes this small startup that makes it fun and interesting and realizes there's a real opportunity in the experience that people were having. And that is that as these blades became more and more per cartridge, they also became more and more expensive. And as a result, when you went to go purchase the blades, you had to actually go to the clerk, have them unlock the cabinet to make a purchase. And that just took away from the whole buying experience, not to mention sometimes it was time-consuming trying to find someone to unlock the cabinet. But along comes an innovation in not the blades or the technology, but in the experience. And that's what changed for one company to really make a big inroad when there was basically a huge advantage to the, uh, the market leader. And so I've tried to do that with innovation myself, is try to do something that I control and to be different. Because the one thing you want to do is differentiate your self and your product. The other things I've learned through experience with a lot of clients is if you can do one of three things, that is save people money, time, or make it easier, your chance of being successful increase quite a bit. And if you can do all three, one could even argue that's a 3x chance of being successful. But I would add one more thing, and that is evoke an emotion. If you can evoke an emotion, now you can turn that x factor into maybe 6x, 12x, who knows? And that's how you can differentiate and really be ahead of what your competitors are doing. Let's say I build a group of my customers or potential customers, and I'm asking them questions. How do you get at where the real opportunities for innovation are? Obviously, you're probably not just going to be able to ask them. You need to ask them a series of questions. Then you are discerning where the opportunities for innovation are. When you think about asking good questions to start to reveal those points of friction or pain points, what are you looking for? What you're trying to do is you're looking to ultimately do a deep dive into a topic or an area. And the way you go about doing that is, first of all, you start off very broad. So what I would envision an inverted pyramid, you start off broad and you try to get people's sense of their perceptions, their feelings at a broader sense without giving any names. In other words, you want to do what we call as unaided. So for example, I'd ask you, hey, uh, Michael, what are some of the name brands of fitness shoes that you wear when you exercise. I wouldn't give you extra names and stuff, but as you've mentioned names, chances are I'm going to be able to predict some of the names you're going to have. And if you don't say the name, I eventually want you to say, I'll bring it up, but I want to find out what people are thinking and feeling top of mind. And once you do that, that's going to give you opportunities to go deeper, say, okay, well, how do you use your fitness shoes? Or, you know, when you think about it, what do you look for? I mean, so what you're doing is doing a deeper dive as you're going deeper and deeper And what you're ultimately trying to do is to tap into what people think and feel because 95% of what decisions are made by most people are made from your subconscious. But as you said earlier, you can't go directly to people's subconscious, even they can't. But the way to do that is to have an engaging conversation. And especially when you do it among a group of people in a focus group, like 10 to 15 people, what happens is kind of like, you know, when you're at a cocktail party and you have a nice group of people and you're all jumping in and saying, hey, that's really interesting. I didn't realize... Now that Michael said that, that made me think of this. That's what you're trying to basically create in a compressed time frame with a group of people is to do a deep dive, have it engaging so that everyone's feeding off of each other, but also has the opportunity to express their own personal thoughts and feelings. How often do you have to worry about one, if it's a focus group, one person dominating the conversation or steering things in a direction that 
you might initially think is unproductive? Like, what are ways to make sure things stay on the rails? Or do you not even worry about that? You're like, nope, that's why we run more than one focus group. That's going to happen. Yeah, that can happen. And that, interesting enough, you know, I've been doing in-person focus groups for many years. So I was interested in seeing how this dynamic would play out online. And it's interesting. I found two unique things happen with online focus groups. And, and these focus I'm talking are chat-based. And one thing about chat-based, and I've tried video and I've tried audio, I really prefer chat-based, and I'll tell you why. Because when you pose a question to an audience of 10 or 12 people, everyone can respond without interrupting each other. For example, you and I can only talk one at a time right now. But if we were typing and chatting, we could both be typing. And the beauty of that is when you pose a question, everyone can answer. And then everyone gets to see that initial response, and then you can build off of that. So you not only get people's initial thoughts, and so that eliminates someone really dominating. And in fact, you even hear from the people that tend to be quiet or out of the gate last or later. As you know, some people are very quick to come out of the gate with an answer, whereas there's someone else that'll be a little more thoughtful and might come out later, but may not get the chance. Whereas with chat-based, they're allowed because everyone can chime in. And the other thing I found that's interesting is people tend to do a little bit of extra thinking to articulate their thoughts into writing. Now, we don't require that they're perfect spellers or have perfect grammar. As long as we can understand what they're saying, that's okay. But we find that as a result, most people tend to have a little extra step of thinking and articulating their thoughts. And, and you can see that. I mean, look how much of our day now is spent text-based in our normal communications. Sometimes you just have to do the extra step of thinking to make sure you're communicating it properly. So that's what's occurring. And of course, the best way to control for anybody that's going to be too dominant is having a good moderator. They know how to negotiate around someone who's going to try to dominate. And ultimately online, if we have to, we can basically block them as well. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need. Not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Fullstack PEO. Fullstack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that helps founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find more at fullstackpeo.com. Talk about where the idea for the book Getting to AHA came from. One of the things uh, I've had the advantage of doing consulting for quite some time for a variety of different clients and industries is you start to see patterns and you kind of get a, what I would say, you, you kind of get what I call, you get to tap into the jet stream of society. And you see that there's basically insights out there that are just waiting to be tapped and brought to the surface. And so I've often had people come to me saying they want to get at the why, but they end up doing surveys because they're more familiar with surveys and they tend to be less expensive in the past. But ultimately, they still want to get at the why, which is why do people do what they're doing? And then also, there's been this huge push in the last several years for big data, which is excellent. And it tells you how people behave, but it still doesn't get at the why. And I also noticed that people were having fewer and fewer conversations in this digitally connected world that we're in. And I just thought it was time for a book to talk about, hey, there are insights out there that we can tap into. One of the best ways to do it is have conversations. And, uh, you know, one way to do that, obviously, would be the iResearch platform, but there's many other ways as well, would allow you to really tap into these insights and give you that advantage that we're all seeking among our competitors. The unspoken or maybe spoken, but I missed it, 
kind of thing there is that you're constantly trying to drive to the emotional connection for why people are doing things right. Not just what they're doing, but the reasoning behind it. So then you can develop a product that then taps into that emotion. Exactly. I mean, if you really think about it, there's, there's lots of triggers and things that people base a lot of their decisions and behaviors on. And that's what you want to tap into. Even if, let's say, you have an existing product and you do research on it, you still want to find out what are some pain points they're still having that might not be being addressed. Or if you're evaluating competitor's product, you know, you have a group of people evaluating, looking at a competitor's product, how do they perceive it? And you'll find that there's always an opportunity to maybe do things a little bit different. You know, there's so many ways to differentiate, right? And that's what we're all looking for is opportunities to differentiate our product and our service. It can be the product itself. It can be the packaging. It can be the way you actually distribute or promote it. Or it can be the entire buying experience. And one of the things I talk about in my book is I actually think nowadays people are moved on from not just buying products. They're buying experiences, And part of that is the emotional component of the experience that people get from not only carrying your product to opening it, to using it, and then having others see you using it. It's all part of that emotional package that comes with, I think, the purchase decision-making now. So when you're thinking of personas for users, buyers, consumers, whatever, are there like, you know, five to 15 specific emotions you're looking for? Is it that templatable? Like, or is it could be a hundred things and we don't know till we get in there? Or do you have kind of templates or places to start when you first start sifting through the data? No, I try to go with the, where the conversation is going and where people ultimately reveal where their emotional connections are to something. And you will always get into that as, as you get deeper into a conversation. One of the things you'll develop over time is just better listening skills. Because sometimes people don't exactly articulate it the way they actually might think it or feel it. So you have to listen to those kernels and dig in a little bit deeper, but ultimately it will come to the surface. And I think what you want to do is you want to find a connection that your product can have to an emotion. And then once you make that connection, that can really help drive the innovation, the communication, everything to make that connection with the audience that you ultimately want. I'm hesitant to do this and you're allowed to say pass. Could you give me an example? Like, how would you do that? Or how do you know that you got to that ultimate emotion? Let me give you an example of that. And I think this is an example maybe all of us can kind of identify. And I think this is kind of what happened with the evolution of the iPod. Apple was not the first to introduce an MP3 player by any means. But Steve Jobs was in a unique position where he knew the technology that prices of hardware storage was coming down. It's going to be becoming more and more miniaturized and smaller. And he also knew one of the biggest frustrations people had, because he himself was a music fan, is taking your music to travel. I mean, I remember this. I have to go through all my CD collection, figure out the ones I want to take so I can play it on my CD player. But if you've noticed, one of the things he did in his initial presentation for the iPod was he said, now you can take a thousand songs in your pocket. That evoked an emotion. <laughs> Right? right? Like, Are you kidding me? A thousand songs? That's more than all the songs I already have. And you're telling me it's going to fit in your pocket? That was incredibly smart marketing and it evoked an emotion. People got it immediately, right? That was the benefit. I can take a thousand songs with me in my pocket. You don't need to talk about the hardware or anything else. That is the one benefit people want and that evoked an emotion. So that's what I'm saying. Try to trigger or try to find what is that one thing that your innovation is going to solve or make a difference in people's lives. And then you can see it just opens up a whole 
set of opportunities that have avenues for you. So take me through from asking questions and identifying pain points and emotions to then drafting that solution, that pitch, that positioning, because there's a whole bunch of steps that happen in between. How do you think about that? You know, there's basically two ways to do gathering insights. One, as I said, is doing qualitative research like focus groups and the other surveys. I would recommend doing focus groups first. So test some hypotheses, test some messaging, get into the mindset of what people think and feel. Once you have that, you know, do maybe two, three, four focus groups. So you're starting to see a pattern. You're starting to see recognize things that are common among many people. And that's what you'll see when you start having these conversations. You'll start to see these patterns. And then what you want to do is you want to take these patterns and say, okay, I want to quantify this and extrapolate this top population. Say, how many people out there would love to be able to take a thousand songs in their pocket, right? Then you can take that initial insights and gatherings you've done and say, now I want to quantify it to a larger population. And then that's where you can find out, hey, there's a real opportunity here. And so that's the process I would go through is test some hypotheses, have conversations, dig deeper. And then once you have that, then that's when you can do a much more informed and precise survey to get at what you need is quantification and extrapolation to a population. Love it. So iResearch is coming out in a few weeks. Is that correct? It is, yes. But if you want, the website is there, iResearch.com. You can sign up and we'll let you know when it's launched. And uh, we're also going to be offering training because, as I said, you know, following the old adage, you can give a man a fish or you can teach them how to fish and be able to eat for the rest of their life. (laughs) How have you thought about customer acquisition for iResearch as it launches? How have you been working to build the audience? And or from a marketing perspective, how have you been thinking about the channels that are going to be fruitful for growing that business? I think now in the digital world, again, people are no longer just buying products that they don't want to be sold to. They're looking for solutions. They're looking for ways to solve problems that they have or to save money or to make something easier. Fortunately, people are not lacking the pursuit of insights. Everyone's still looking for insights to find that differentiator. My tool is going to be an affordable one that's easy to use that can be done from anywhere in any language. So it was by design, by knowing that, designing that into the product that would help, I think, see the benefits right away. COVID-19 has actually been a help as well because this is completely COVID-friendly in the sense that it's all online. In-person focus groups have been quite challenging through the COVID environment. Do you provide the candidates for the focus group or as the researcher, I'm just using this as a tool. I still have to go out and get my pool of people I want to interview. Our initial offering will not offer that, but uh, eventually we're going to be looking into that. But the good news is there's so many ways to recruit from everyone's own social channels. And there are companies out there where you can actually go out and get people recruited for your focus group as well as for your screening survey to get them into your focus group. Awesome. We're offering a series of training tools from free to paid to basically get you up to speed so that you can do this on your own. When you think about the perfect user for a product like this, who's the persona you had in mind when you and the team built it? It's actually all the clients I've had. You know, these are people who really are looking to make critical business decisions by not just guessing, but actually having informed information to make informed decisions. People are looking to innovate on a regular basis and to differentiate their product. And we've used focus groups for a variety of things from understanding the buying decision process to actually doing ad testing to test messages so that before we actually spend a lot of money 
on video production, audio production, all that stuff. Let's test the messaging, see if the right words and content are going to be received and perceived the way we'd like them to be. So there's a variety of different uses it can be done. And I think nowadays, you're going to get feedback one way or another from your customers. Whether you seek it or not, you're going to get feedback in terms of reviews and comments. And so this is a way you can actually have engaged conversations at scale that can really benefit you to get those insights to help you make intelligent business decisions. Before we had clicked record, you had mentioned that you're taking this call from Bangkok. (laughs) I am super interested in the story of what took you over there because you said you weren't visiting, but you're living there now. So unpack that for me a little bit. How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, I've been here in the past to teach and I've I've traveled here in the past. But last year, and I guess uh, around February of 2020, I've been in a very fortunate situation. When I do research, you get kind of a pulse into the jet stream of society. And I just had a feeling that COVID in the U.S. were not going to be uh, good candidates for each other. And uh, I thought, you know, where might be a better w- place to kind of ride out the COVID storm if I could. And so I decided I was going to come to Thailand. This is an insight I had. I acted on it. And before it became a fact, I was actually in Thailand before everything locked down. I actually landed in Thailand on March 15th of last year. And the country shut down on March 18th. Wow. (laughs) And it's funny because my team was saying, you wrote this book about today's insights or tomorrow's facts, and you're actually living. And I said, well, you know, sometimes you just got to practice what you preach, right? (laughs) So when you read the tea leaves around Thailand, what were the insights that kind of popped out to you that made you think, oh, yeah, this is absolutely where I need to be? Well, I was in the U.S. at the time. I was in the U.S. on March 9th, and I was actually at a conference in San Francisco. And I just felt it with the combination of the Fed lowering the interest rate. And it, it just, there's multiple signs that they were just not ahead of the curve, so to say. And so I decided, well, you know, one of the things I thought COVID would not do well in is in a hot environment. And I know that Thailand has three seasons, hot, hotter, and damn hot. <laughs> 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 and going into March was going into damn hot. So I figured, hey, that's one advantage. <laughs> Love that. So uh, as it turns out, you know, last year, Thailand was one of the few places to be in the world that was quite safe and you could actually live a normal life. And you know, having said that, to be honest with you, I also have felt in the back of my mind that there's a lot of opportunity in Asia for the next couple of decades, You know, just beyond China. I think there's just a lot of opportunity in terms of growth, energy, investment, and so on. And so I think it's a nice place to maybe take advantage of that. And COVID just kind of expedited that. So then... That transition over the last year of living in Thailand, were you fluent in the language before you got there? Are you now? Like, how has that been just adjusting to being an American living in Thailand? It's not a problem. English is not a problem here. Obviously, if you know the language, the local language would be better. I would say I'm taxi proficient. (laughs) Nice. Uh, But, uh, you know, and getting there with the menus and stuff, but it's uh, not a problem if you were to come here without any language skills. In fact, I would say there's uh, you'd be quite surprised. I think one of the advantages that Thailand offers compared to other areas in the Asia is that it really is a nice mix of East and West. In other words, you can pretty much get whatever you want from the West, but you can also have the exoticness of the East at the same time. And then when you think of opportunity based on your experiences there over the last year, what are some of the specific things that you can see coming that 
maybe weren't on your radar 12 months ago? Well, one of the things I'm working with is a university here. One of the top technology universities here is to develop uh, what we're calling is the Big Mango Week. And I think there's a real opportunity in countries like Thailand and other parts of Asia where startups can actually come here to incubate for a lot less in terms of startup costs and get to that product faster, but they can still develop world-class product here and use a test and then launch them wherever they want to in the rest of the world to monetize them. But I think there's a real opportunity in terms of talent. I mean, you'd be amazed at some of the technology infrastructure that's here in some of the co-working spaces. You would think they're actually headquarters for some of the biggest tech firms we have in Silicon Valley. When you look at the facilities that are available to co-sharing and spaces in terms of 3D printers. It's really amazing what's available compared to what I've seen in the West. Is your team still US-based or are they there now? What's the layout when you look at the two companies in terms of where talent is? Yeah, I still have people in the US, but to be honest, our entire team is pretty much remote. Um, People in the US, Canada, Europe, throughout Asia, and even Australia. So I've been kind of an odd duck. I've been uh, remote really since 1989. (laughs) And uh, I've always been a big believer of going where the talent is versus having them all in one uh, space. If you can get good people to get the work done, it really shouldn't matter where they are. Right on. All right. Hit us with the book one more time and where people can find it. Sure. It's going to be released November 2nd on Amazon. It's called Getting to AHA, Why Today's Insights or Tomorrow's Facts. You can learn about it at iResearch.com. There's a link there for the book as well. You can always you can reach me directly as well if you want my email. It's dm at iResearch.com. Awesome. Darshan, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you very much. Pleasure talking to you. Startup Competitors provides monthly handcrafted email updates on your top competitors. Keep up to date on new hires, marketing activities, events, awards, new product launches, pricing changes, funding, and a bunch more. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.